I don't know how years and years ago, before they had glasses, that old pastors could read these tiny little words that had to have been a gift from the Holy Spirit because he says, I can tell there's words, but. A little background um, with this. Jesus, of course, um, wrote the Old Testament. He knew it well. And if you look at the, particularly the minor prophets, you know, we got the big ones, you know, the Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and so forth. But the little ones, you know, Micah, Amos, and such. And there's a litany of bad things that are going to happen to Israel. And you'd think, well, the bad things are going to happen to Israel because they're not obeying the law. No. You read this litany of bad things, and time and time and time and time again, it says, because you have not attended to justice for the widows, for the poor, or for the sojourners, which we would call foreigners. So putting that in mind, this, is, this account of Luke, of what Jesus has to say, really reflects back on that sentiment that you need to take care of those who you think are less than you, but they're not. One Sabbath, when Jesus went in to the house of a prominent Pharisee, he was being carefully watched. Got my eyes on you, Jesus. There in front of him was a man suffering from an abnormal swelling of his body. Jesus asked the Pharisees and the experts in the law, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. They opened their mouth, they were getting into trouble. So taking hold of the man, he healed him and sent him on his way. Then he asked them, because he knew what they were thinking, if one of you has a child or an ox that falls into a well on the Sabbath day, will you not immediately pull it out? And they had nothing to say. When he noticed how the guests picked the place of honors at the table, he told them this parable. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not play, take the place of honor, for a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host who invited both you both of you will come and say to you, give this person your seat. Then, humiliated, you will have to take the least important place. This was a big deal then, where you sat at the table. We don't really fully do that kind of thing now. Maybe dad sits at the end of the table or something like that. But, but when you're invited, take the lowest place so that when your host comes, he will say to you, friend, move up to a better place. Then you will be honored in the presence of all the other guests. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Then Jesus said to his host, when you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives, or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back, and so you'll be repaid. 
But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. When one of those at the table heard this, he said to Jesus, Ha! Blessed are those who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. Jesus replied, A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servants to tell those who had been invited, Come, for now everything is ready. They're all thinking, uh, okay. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I just bought a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I have just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. Not really sure what that's about. The servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Are we tracking? Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there's still room. The master told his servant, go out to the roads and country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. You don't heed the call to come to the table. Your invitation is revoked. I hope I didn't ruin your sermon. Thanks. This is the last time John's ever going to ask me to speak. <laughs> Thank you. All right, well, Carrie, thank you. You hit all of the great high notes. You and I are not at odds. <laughs> Everything was great. That will help us all. It was a long scripture reading. We don't always have them long, although I'm known to have longer scripture readings. Um, so you got a feel for the situation. We're doing, to close out our, our time here, we're doing a little three-part series called Being the Church for the World being the church for the world. And while our community's mourning here is real, these three sermons have been equipping sermons. That's a word you don't hear much outside of a Christian context, equipping sermons. These are sermons to teach us and gear us up for whatever is next for each of us. Things that I have just sat with God and said, what do we need to know, God? Bring us hope, bring us excitement, inspiration, and so these three sermons have had kind of the same tone. They're going to have the same major theme, and that theme is a theme some of you may be familiar with, blessed to be a blessing, this idea that we are blessed by Jesus. We are brought into his community. We are given gifts in order to be a blessing for other people. Last week we talked about being appointed in order to be appointing. We are all following Jesus and entering a school of, of leadership, that each of us is not arriving at church, we're enrolling in church. This week I want to talk about being invited so we can be inviting. In order to do that, we need to act invited. 
We need to act invited when we go to church. We're all going to be going to new churches. Maybe we'll go to the church that meets in this building. Maybe we'll go to other churches in our neighborhoods, those of us that don't live nearby. How do we act invited as a Christian? And then how do we be inviting? Because any new person that walks into a church that can act invited and be inviting at the same time will be such a gift. I'm a pastor here telling you it is such a gift to have people jump in and say, I am humble, I am grateful, and I'm ready to go. That is just like, I'm sorry, that's just like, okay, step one through five, we're done with, we're just going to start, hit the ground running. You are such a gift to me. And so that means as Christians... And as people who come to church, we are not only consuming. I'm not going to say we aren't consuming because we need to consume. We need to consume the word. We need to consume the relationships and feed and live off of them. But we're also contributive. We're not just consuming whatever church we go to, but we're saying, how can I jump in and get involved? That while we are wanting heavenly standards, as Carrie talked about, wanting a, a landscape of justice and righteousness in Portland, we look around and we are weary. We are sad because we say, this is not how it should be. When I drove down Powell past 82nd, I go, this is not how the city should be. I've been here 13 years. I've, I yearn for justice and righteousness. But I'm willing to work with earthly realities. Because it can be easy to say, it doesn't meet my standards, so I'm out to a place that does. This church closing does not mean you all have permission to go find a community that fits your stripe and your tribe so that you can be comfortable. Because Jesus walked into all people in all walks of life. He was invited to the house of a Pharisee, not people of his stripe or tribe. And he worked with the earthly realities. And instead of being people simply desiring to critique, would be, be people that are willing to build. And this is even true of, man, this is true in church leaders. I was sitting, I'm in, I'm in a seminary class right now, and I was sitting in that class, and they were talking about a well-known pastor who comes in, and he often will come into a church to guest preach and just critique, critique, critique. And he goes, man, that guy just has become a guy known to critique. I want somebody who builds. We need to be builders. Doesn't mean we can't be critically minded, but can we jump into imperfect situations and build? Because I guarantee you the next church you find yourself in will not be perfect. And you will be asked this question by Jesus himself. Are you willing to build here? Are you willing to build something with these people? And you have to answer that honestly. So, so to kind of dive into this and learn how are we going to become these kind of people, I wanted to look at this text that very specifically talks about people who are invited and inviting. And Jesus gives three parables, we could call them here. The first he gives to who? The guests. He turns to the guests and he says, how? Should you be a good guest? The second parable, he turns to the host. And he says, how can you be a good host? And then the third parable, he takes these two together. 
And he leads us to a strange and awesome place and surprises us. So let's look at the the first uh, seven verses here. I'm just going to read them again to remind us of our setting. One Sabbath, when Jesus went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee, he was being carefully watched. Now, this is Luke 14. We're well into Jesus's ministry. People know what's going on, and Carrie alluded to this with his scripture reading. Jesus is being invited to places, but now instead of being invited to, like, sniff him out, they're like, we got to keep an eye on this guy. We're inviting him into these places because we, we don't trust him anymore. There in front of him was a man suffering from abnormal swelling of his body. Hmm. I wonder if he was planted, actually. Because at this point, the Pharisees' desire is entrapment, right? They're trying to go gotcha to Jesus. Get him in a place where he can't answer the question, where he shows that he's unorthodox, that he's not a good rabbi. Jesus asked the Pharisees and experts in the law, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. So taking hold of the man, he healed him and sent him on his way. Then he asked them, if one of you has a child or an ox that falls into a well on the Sabbath day, will you not immediately pull it out? And they had nothing to say because they, had, they, knew, they knew better at this point with Jesus. When he noticed how the guests picked the places of honor at the table, he told them this parable. Okay, so let's just stop for one second. In that time, there was a sort of a cultural decorum and people would come and the host would sit in one spot of the table and then it was just the natural way of doing things that there were seats laid out and those closest to the host were the most prominent and worked their way back. Now, have any of you ever been at any kind of insider dinner? Because these happen all over the place. You can have an insider dinner of people that are high up at your company or your business and the managers will end up all sitting in a group together. They arrive and they're all talking together and they're kind of, it's not like exclusive except it is, right? Because their backs are turned and they're already engaged in conversation. You always feel like the outsider, right? And so you know immediately when you're in a situation, I'm an outsider and here's the insiders. So even though we might not have this situation exactly in our life, we totally get this. You know, I'm looking for the name tag and these people know, all they know each other's names and they don't even have a name tag. And we just accept that this is the norm, right? If you walked into a big gala downtown in the hotel and the mayor was there and, and one of the congressmen was there and they're all talking together, you would instantly assume, well, he's the mayor. He's a, I'm not, I have no business talking to them. So this is not unusual for us. We understand this kind of cultural decorum. Even at a larger church, I've been in places where there's the pastor and the pastor's inner circle. People don't even know their pastor because the church is so big. The pastor is basically a celebrity. And like you, you, don't, you don't even, like you might get granted an audience. So we get this situation. And this is the context of Jesus' parable. And it's charged from the very first line. And I think what's kind of amazing about this particular set of parables is they are a story within a story. 
So here we have a story of a dinner. And Jesus goes, hey, I've got one for you. It's about a dinner. (laughs) Easy one, because we're at a dinner. So let me use that as an example. And he does it three times, three feasts. And each of them includes a warning. Each of them is a cautionary tale. This is Jesus calling people out as he frequently did. Jesus is welcoming. He is inviting. But when you welcome Jesus into your life, his business is to call you out on things. He will call you out. And here he does it three times. And in his three warnings, he explores what it means to be a humble and honorable guest. That's the first thing we'll talk about. In a heavenly sense and not a cultural sense. Every time Jesus is talking, he's talking in a heavenly sense. What does a humble and honorable guest look like? Two, in the second parable, he will talk about what a truly generous and admirable host looks like. And then in number three, in parable three, he's going to talk about just being available. Are you available? And then, after we look at those three parables, I want to look at two things. I want to give us an encouragement and a charge. I want us to look at Jesus as the most humble guest, the most generous host, and the most available servant. And then see, can we embody that ourselves, particularly as those of us here join our next community or as any of us join any community? Can we embody being a great guest, a great host, and just being available? All right, so the first parable, verses 7 through 11. When he noticed how the guests picked the places of honor at the table, he told them this parable. He said, when someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor for a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, give this person your seat. Then humiliated, you will have to take the least important place. But when you are invited, take the lowest place so that when your host comes, he will say to you, friend, move up to a better place. Then you will be honored in the presence of all of the other guests. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled. And those who humble themselves will be exalted. Now, a huge cultural part of this story, and a lot of what Jesus does in his ministry, is he is calling out Israel. He's saying, Israel, Israel does not hold the keys to the kingdom of God. You guys have so taken in your chosenness that you thought you can now run the show. God holds the keys to the kingdom. And over and over in the Old Testament, Israel messes this up. We would call this hubris, right? The kings go, nope, I am divine. I make the decisions and this is what I'm going to do. 
And the prophets come in and they say, God disagrees with this. I strongly encourage you to reconsider. Sometimes the kings do, sometimes the kings don't. Jesus is in his prime prophetic role here when he's speaking truth to power. And he's saying, you Pharisees do not hold the keys to the kingdom. But here's what's so crazy about what he says. I do. Because here, let me ask you questions and see if you can answer them. And by that, I will show you my authority. I'm the true host here. Because I am the rabbi that has the questions no other rabbi can answer. So Jesus walks in and is the true host of the party. And he gives the wisest advice. So Jesus here is calling out the hashtag blessed, we would say, right? The pretentious, the power hungry, the preoccupied. Those that are flying high on their Christian laurels in our modern context, or in their case, their Jewish pedigree. And he's poking underneath. He says, what if you acted in every situation? What if, church, we acted in every situation as somebody just lucky to be here and to be here and to be here? What if in every situation you could walk in grateful and lucky just to be here? Talked to a friend this week who was nearing retirement age, and he's just, there's so many things at, at the age that he was at about, I think, what, let's see, let me do the math, 64, let's say. And regrets, thing, every time we were working together, it would sort of turn into like a mini therapy session of like stuff that's just happened in his life, adding up, and he's accumulating, going through all this stuff, and it's just life becomes a chaotic, tangled ball of yarn. And he goes, you know what makes a difference is I'm just getting to the stage now where career doesn't really matter anymore, work doesn't matter anymore. I just am getting to the stage where it's amazing just to be alive. So Jesus is saying, let's get down to reality here. This will actually help you. If you can get to a place where you walk into any situation as one who is invited and is just lucky to be here, I can save you from just incredible amounts of shame and embarrassment. It's better to rise to the summons because of your demonstrated character than to overreach and be asked to leave in spite of your stated self importance. A couple weeks ago, I was having coffee with another pastor who was much older, more experienced. We were talking about this whole process. And I sat, as I often do, with, with a coffee meeting at a table, got my cup of coffee, and I'm sitting waiting for somebody, and you know, you're kind of figuring out who, do they know what I look like? I'm the blonde guy with, the, you know, and, and then you catch eyes, and hey, Sean, yeah, okay. And he comes up, and <laughs> In the moment where I should have asked him if I could buy him a coffee, I didn't even have a beat. He goes, can I get you anything? And I'm sitting here with my coffee, and he goes and grabs his coffee. I say no. He goes and grabs his coffee and comes in. No comment, no nothing. Just a ridiculous amount of generosity. 
Now, why do I bring that story up? He was taking the I'm lucky to be here servant role at the table, the lowest seat, showing his character so that his character would precede him. Here's another thing he could have done. He could have come and sat down and kind of like tapped a pen on the thing and I've got my coffee and he's like looking at my coffee. Man, how's that coffee? It looks good. And we talk and we talk the whole time and I don't even think to get him a coffee and he walks out and I realize he never had a cup of coffee. He was waiting for me to get him a cup. You know, like that could have been how the coffee goes. Now we don't have that happen very often, but we have similar situations sometimes. He could have even been in a huff. But he wasn't. He was ridiculously generous. I already had coffee. What else are you going to get me? A pastry? Like, and he, he wants to come treat me even though he's the guest at my table. And of course, in my mind, like, I'm like, rise, come up. Like, you have demonstrated character. Just an incredible politeness, hospitality, an incredible humility and willingness to serve. Reminded me, next time I meet with somebody, man, don't take a seat with the coffee. Like, wait, and then when they get there, stand up and be like, hey, I'm just grabbing coffee. Can I grab you one? Like, just this, just really simple stuff. I'm just trying to boil this down because you read this parable and you go, I don't get it. Like, I can't, what do I do with that, John? This is what you, just the most basic act invited. Just act lucky to be here. Use your resources to be contributive and to treat others as a servant. And be an honorable guest. So just to distill this to a couple principles for, the, for us, because I'm trying to give us a little bit of like a, a roadmap. We're going to be doing something that some of us here haven't done for seven years as we walk into a, a new church building. We're going to be like, I don't, I don't even know how to do this. I'm used to be the one like welcoming people that walk in here. Now I'm the one being welcomed. Like, I feel like a fish out of water. Act grateful you're invited. Anyone that invites you to any of their churches... Any social media you post, you say, that looks like a good one. Just act grateful everywhere. Accept those invitations to which you can be an honorable guest. Now, why do I say it that way? I'm talking broadly about invitations for all of us. Some of us run in circles. You might not be able to be an honorable guest in an invitation you accept if it's to a strip club. You might say, I don't want to go accept that invitation. I can't be somebody who's invited well because I actually disagree with going there now. My, my beliefs have changed. I don't want to go there. But I can still be grateful that you invited me. And then I can accept those invitations to which I can be and will feel that I can be an honorable guest. And then when you arrive, show your gratitude by just having no pretense, not needing anything from anybody. And, and sometimes we don't even realize we 
think of ourselves in a certain like a certain way until we show it to ourselves. Let me let me give you an example. So just yesterday we were at a friend's birthday party. One of our um, our middle daughter Lucy has a friend named Lucy invited over to our bounce house party. So it's in a backyard. Show up. There's we're showing up a little bit late. There's already people everywhere. And her dad Ted goes, Hey, yeah. There's there's a bunch of drinks in the cooler. There's just tons of drinks. So just 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 grab something. I open up the cooler and there's some sparkling waters. I open up the other cooler and there's like some Izzy sodas. And I found myself looking for a third cooler for beer. Like, where's the microbrew? Like, you know, John, like, I didn't even know I expected when he said a drink that like he would be getting me like a good microbrew. And like, now here's what I could have done. Of course I was just like, oh yeah, the soda, it's a kid's birth, like John, come on. So, I, but if I had really like been like Ted, because we're good enough friends, I could have been like Ted, no microbrews, and I could have like gone into his fridge, got a microbrew for myself, come out and popped it open. Jesus is like, don't do that, <laughs> right? Like that's a that's that's pretentious. Or I could have brought my own, right, and been like, hey guys, I'm just too good for your Izzy sodas. It's, it's a silly illustration, but I'm trying to bring up a point here that sometimes we don't even know the pretense we bring into a situation. Oh, where's like, where's, this all has corn syrup in it. Like, is there another ketchup? Like, just eat the food. Just be grateful to be here. Accept it. And live with great character as you do that. And what you may find, what you are guaranteed to find in the heavenly sense and what you may find in the earthly sense is a reward. Now, this is interesting. I've talked about this a bunch. As Christians, we are sort of like programmed to not seek rewards in this life. But Jesus talks a lot about rewards. And so I think sometimes we get burned out of our faith because we're like, the whole thing is just to suffer the whole time. And then I die. And that doesn't sound fun. I don't want to do it anymore. And Jesus is like, you're missing the point. Like, good people reward justice and righteousness. There will be rewards in this life, but don't live for them. Just be grateful when they come your way. Be the kind of person that has the character to go through any level of suffering to be righteous and just. But people, good people, will notice And as we live to be people like that, we may find that there will be incredible generosity and honor if we live as one who is a good, invited person. Now, a a biblical story that would explain this well is the story of the prodigal son. So there's two sons in the prodigal son. The older one deserves the inheritance. The younger son after making a mess of his life, realizes, I've blown it. Like, there's no chance I'm going to get my father's inheritance. And then his father welcomes him back and throws a huge party for him. Honors his return as a good guest. Humble, taking now the lowest seat at the table. 
But the, to the older son, who is like full of pretense, wants to sit closest to the host, you see how I'm making these connections? He goes, you, don't, you still don't get it. So the challenge for us out of this first parable is to have a conscious humility. It's actually an unnatural humility. You will have to think and work to be this humble. I guarantee you when this pastor, Sean, sat down for the coffee and said, do you need anything? At that point, maybe it was starting to become second nature. But like that is a learned habit that he's developed over time. Always looking at a situation and saying, what can I bring to the table here? What can I add? How can I pour out from overflowing onto everybody I meet? It challenges us to have a conscious, unnatural humility and to trust the heavenly host for the reward and just be grateful to be here. And in the meantime, to be patient for our heavenly host to do as he wills because it may not happen in this lifetime. And this is not obviously just true of like the next church you go to. It is true in all areas of life. Be humble, be patient, act, invited. For, for us in this building, we have to realize this building is not ours. When we go and stay in one place for too long, we begin to think that thing is ours, but everything is God's. Everything you have is a gift from Jesus. And so then all of my life is a shepherding role for God's material, God's assets, God's money, God's giftings to me. God's relationships that he's put in my life, everything, the children I've been given, whatever, it's all gift. And my role now is to shepherd. So nobody needs to earn it from me in order for me to treat them well. I treat them well by nature of the fact that I'm loved by God and he's entrusted me to shepherd everything I have. This means... Just going to push on us a little bit. Whatever you're giving financially to this church right now, I challenge you. You step your foot in the door of another church. Give them whatever generously you would give here on a week for the week you stepped into that church. And when you land somewhere and you like it, immediately give generously. That money was never yours to begin with. Keep giving it not dependent on anything they do for you. Which leads us kind of into this next story. So then Jesus, after he's turned to the guests and said, this is how a good guest should act. By the way, these guests have all acted poorly. So this, he's totally calling them out. He, he goes to the, he turns just a little further. So imagine, here's the table up here. Let's imagine the table up here. Jesus is turned over to the hosts are over here and all the guests are right next to them. So Jesus is looking at the host. or looking at the guests, sorry, right next to the host. And he just turns just a little bit and he goes, okay, now I'm on to you. The host. 
Jesus said to the host, when you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives or your rich neighbors. If you do, they might invite you back and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. So the parable he's teaching here is pretty easy to understand, right? He's, he's teaching how to be a truly admirable and generous host. And the basic principle he's, he's articulating here is do not host so as to wheel and deal, so as to wine and dine, to schmooze. And if we're honest, a lot of our hosting in life is culturally programmed into us to do that. I host you to engender your favor to me, whether that's so you can be my friend as a backup plan when I feel lonely, I can call you, whether that's because we're doing business and I feel that you could be advantageous to have in my network, Whatever it is when we host, this is always lurking in the back of our mind, just as it is when we're the guest to the host. It can turn into this anywhere. When you walk into your next church, you may say, I want to invite them to lunch. They seem like they're kind of like me. And we could be friends and hit off, and now I can have a community. I won't feel so lonely. And me, me, me. Me. Jesus says, flip it. Hosting is primarily about having responsibility of what you've been given and giving it generously to all people of all types. This is, this is actually really hard to stomach. This means if I walk into a new community and people are wholly unlike me, I am not freed from my responsibility to continue to reach out and host people. When you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. And this is not something, by the way, this is not something where you get a pass to be a guest for a long time and then finally you graduate to becoming a host. This is something we all do simultaneously all the time. We are simultaneously guests at places where we need to learn to be a better guest and we are simultaneously hosts where we need to learn to be a good host. The sooner you invite, the better. I'm not saying don't meet the pastor quickly at your new church and invite them over. I'm not trying to challenge and get it in your head so much that you say like, I don't even, I, what am I doing when I invite? I don't even know anymore. Shame, guilt, selfish, selfish. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying when you invite somebody and host them, to shower anybody you do that with, with generosity. 
not so that they will call you back, answer your phone calls, so that you will become on the inner circle, so that you will climb a ladder faster, not to curry favor, accelerate your progress, but just to serve anybody and everybody. Jesus is calling us out and saying, part of the problem with our society is that we look at a group of people and we say, I'll serve you and I'll host you and I want to be a guest here. And the rest of these people, I mean, you got somebody, somebody will like you, you know, but I'm eyeballing the ones that fit me. Perhaps part of the problem with our tribalized culture right now is that we do this all the time. And so our neighborhoods start to look the same. All the same kind of people living on the block. Our workplaces start to look the same. Our churches start to look the same. Because Jesus' command here to the host is really challenging to actually do. But he's challenging us to be a truly generous host. All right, so now let's, let's look at these two things coming together in this second parable, in this first parable, and see what the kicker is here. Jesus is pulling these two things together, and he's saying those who search for a specific feast with specific guests and believe that they can find them in this life won't want the life that Jesus offers. That's what he's saying in this third parable. Let's read it here in verses 14 through 24. So he he finishes out this last parable. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. When one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. And I think Carrie nailed his intonation on that. This is a guy who goes, I got it. I'm on it. I'm doing it. So Jesus again gives a warning. Anytime we're like hashtag blessed, Jesus is like, I got news for you. Right? A certain man was preparing a great banquet and inviting many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, come for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I have just bought a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I have just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. I have found the specific feast with the specific guests that I need to be happy in this life. I don't need anything else. Another said, I, another said, I just got married, so I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered a servant, go out quickly into the streets and the alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Sir, the servant said, when you or, what you ordered has been done, but there is still room. 
Then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and the country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those who were invited will get a taste at my banquet. Have you ever turned down an invitation because it wasn't good enough for you or didn't fit in your schedule and then found out all your friends are going? And then you're like, oh, it's very relatable. Like, I think we've all been there where we've been like, ah, sorry, I'm working that day, you know, or that sounded dumb, right? And then like, everybody's like, I think it was, it was great. I think it's great. I'm going and I'm taking your your other friend. And you're like, I'm the only, oof, that's dumb. But now I'm alone, so it's not as dumb anymore. Right? Like, that's so relatable. We've all been there where our self-importance ends up messing everything up. And we, we start to realize how proud, how arrogant, how stuck up we are in our own individual ways. And we can all be stuck up in different ways. Man. We can be stuck up because we only read the New York Times. We can be stuck up because we would never read the New York Times. We can be stuck up all of these different ways, but we all have things that will Jesus, in his grace, will reveal to us. So in this last parable, he's combining these two and he's saying, look, if you are looking for a specific feast with specific guests, then you will not be alert and available to what is truly important because what is truly important cannot be found in this life. Holy. So if you find that you are wholly satisfied momentarily in this life, that's a warning sign to you. Be alert and available because there is something that is truly, but everything else is fleeting, but there is something that is truly important. Being available to the right things is huge in life. We know this because we've all had one of these examples. Perhaps in business, you've had an example like this where you were too busy getting all these little things done on a job and you missed the big thing. The big opportunity, the big offer, the job post has gone down because you were doing dishes and getting the kids to school and you go, ah, like, I got so caught up in the urgent that I missed what is important. That is such an important adage. This is very true in all walks of life. Never get stuck doing what seems urgent over what is truly important. Because the reality, the reality is we may think we're too busy. We might use that word, I'm just too busy, I'm too busy, I'm too busy, I can't do this, I'm too busy. I've heard that so many times, I've said that so many times. We say this all the time. Sorry, I can't, I'm too busy. How was your week? It was busy. How are you? I'm tired. These are like our most common responses to everything. But I've got news for us. We are never too busy. Here's how I know. If somebody across town right now texted you and said, and you trust this person. And they said, you can have a million dollars if you drive over to my house right now. 
you're in the middle of church. You're going to have to walk out of church. John's going to see you walk out, right? And you go, my friend's going to give me a million dollars if I go right now. You would. And I would suggest you should, by the way. You're like, what heresy? John's telling me, to, wait, you, you shouldn't love money more than God. What are you saying, John? No, you should definitely. If you can get a million dollars right now, you just have to drive across, go do it. Like, you should go do that. Because going to church isn't your salvation, right? I'd be a Pharisee to say that. But neither is the million dollars your salvation. But it's helpful now. Seizing it is not heathen. We're never too busy. If something's important enough, we will stop everything and go do it. We simply make decisions based on what we think is most important. Now, if you went and traded that million dollars, if you did like a, what is that play where Mephistopheles and he trades his life, help me, Carrie, you know the one I'm talking about. He trades his life for, um, to the devil, basically, right? If, if you're trading your eternal life for a million dollars, that's idiocy. And that's what Jesus is talking about. This parable is about being available to what is important now and how easy it is to become unavailable. Faust, Faust, that's what I was thinking of. But become unavailable and have a haunting spiritual blindness with disastrous consequences. So this third parable shows us that the attitude revealed as we are invited guests and inviting hosts will be at play even as we roam the streets of Portland looking for what is next, just doing our life. If we are looking for what serves us now and the places we want to be, we may miss the most important thing. We will only go to the feast we want with the guests we want. Now, why is this so challenging to be alert and alive to what is really important? A friend of mine said, I said, how do you make decisions? How do you follow the will of God? Like, have you ever asked yourself that question? How do I know what God wills in my life? Ask that to your friends, by the way. Like, ask that to any, ask that to a Christian. If you're not a Christian, you say, I don't, how do you guys do this? You will get different answers from everybody because this is something we learn by practicing faith and trust. And he said, so often I found that doing the will of God is doing the good thing I don't want to do. It's doing the good thing I don't want to do. Because when we do the will of God, it requires trust and faith in the promise of a Messiah. It requires us to trust and be faithful in the promise of a Savior, that Jesus really actually saves us. And this, this is what this third parable pulls together. 
It says, look, there is a promise I have for you. You Jews know about it. You rabbis, you Pharisees know about it. That there is a coming judgment and a great reward. And we need saving from the coming judgment. And we desire a great reward. And both of them, if they're outside of this life, require trust and faith to really, really change our life. We have to believe them so deeply that we will do the hardest things. And furthermore, we have to trust and be faithful of these promises through somebody. Everyone here has trusted somebody and been faithful to somebody in order to believe. You said, because so-and-so invited me to church and they're a good person, I want to be a good person too. They're They're trustworthy, and so I've trusted them about this Jesus person. Or maybe you've just trusted the word of God itself, which means you trusted the apostles who wrote it. It has required you to trust in something for promises that are beyond this life. And that trust and that faith is so hard. So in this parable, when the master sends his servant out to share the message, what is is required of everybody who listens to the servant? They have to trust that the servant is saying what the master actually wants. They have to trust that he is a trustworthy person. They have to take his word for it. The real antidote. We don't, if if we trust and we say, okay, there's great judgment and there's great reward. And we just live in fear of the judgment or we live in desire of the reward. Those are huge ifs that we're constantly living for. And so many of us Christians live, we take, we think we take the word of Christianity and what it boils down to is I'm living because I'm afraid of hell or I'm living because I want heaven so bad. And we actually live in great anxiety. The only antidote to that anxiety is the gospel. And we see the gospel in this third parable. When Jesus, the servant, in this story he tells, is the truest guest by being the servant of the host, taking the most humble place, going out and taking the lowest seat and just saying, I just want everybody to come in. And he's the truest host because he does exactly what Jesus says a true host should do. He goes to the the blind, the lame, the poor, the crippled. So here we watch in this story, this servant, we watch Christ invite us, though we don't deserve it. And Christ, the truest guest, offer to give up the highest seat to take the lowest, even to die and let the Father lift him up.
into glory. This third, the, the first two parables may just seem like morality tales, but it's in the third that Jesus writes himself into the story. He says, I am both the truest host, I am the truest guest, and you will soon see how I live out the message of justice and righteousness here by dying for everybody on the cross to make, make salvation, make the reward available to everyone. To welcome everybody in to the feast of the kingdom of God. So I'm going I'm to close here. We do communion every Sunday. You're welcome, if you profess Jesus as your Lord and Savior, to come and take of the table to say he died for me, though I don't deserve it. I'm going to play a song by a friend of Megan and I's. He just released it, and it's just so simple and wonderful, and it's called Mephibosheth. It's an Old Testament reference. Or just drink. And the main line is, come and drink and eat with me at the table. This is the attitude of the invited in which we are invited to Christ. But it is also the attitude in which we invite others to eat with us at a feast we don't deserve.